Welcome to Book Circle Online. We have a very special guest today that has authored a workbook that will change your life. Stay tuned. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Welcome, everybody, to Book Circle Online. I am your host, Heather Yared. We have a very special guest today that I can't wait to personally introduce. I'll go ahead and get started and let you know where you can find me. Hi, how are you? Heather Yared. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Heather Yared. And Dr. Callie Estes, welcome. Thank you. Where can they find you on social media? Well, I'm all over. Uh, TheAddictionsCoach.com and on Facebook under Callie Estes or Callie Estes The Addictions Coach. And on Twitter, I'm The Addictions Co or Callie Estes. And Instagram, Dr. Callie Estes. Pretty much type my name in in any one of those and you will find me. Oh, wonderful. So let me give a little bit of an intro for those who are just tuning in. Dr. Callie Estes is a highly sought after celebrity coach, counselor, life coach, recovery coach, and wellness guru that blends talk therapy with forward and positive change to assist her clients in unlocking their true potential. She offers a unique surface of combining holistic modalities with talk therapy that gets to the root cause of the issues you are experiencing and helps you simply unpause your life. I like the way you say that, unpause (laughs) your life. So with one of your main focuses being... um, on failure to launch syndrome, which mm-hmm. is a rapidly growing epidemic amongst the millennials. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. What is failure to launch syndrome? So what's this, what has happened is a lot of millennials are staying home longer, they're getting jobs later in life, and they're not taking the minimum wage jobs that we would take as a 16-year-old, as a waitress, or working in a bookstore. They don't want to do that. And they don't like the idea of having to go to work, so they want to stay home. So mom and dad kind of nurture them a little bit, keep them around a little bit longer, and what happens is they're 25, they're 26, they're still home, and mom is still cooking their meals, still cleaning their laundry, and still folding it for them. And then mom goes, hmm. He's now 26 and I'm still doing all these things. It's time to, you know, fly the nest. And they call me in a panic and say, what do we do? Because there's no motivation. There's nothing going on there. So that's classic failure to launch. And what is it that you think is contributing to this mostly? Well, the biggest thing is the helicopter parenting, where the parent swoops down and fixes every issue the child has. So... It used to be, you know, you went to kindergarten and then you went on. There was no graduation. Now there's a graduation from kindergarten, a graduation from first grade and second grade. And it's this huge thing Like you get, nobody gets cut from football. Nobody gets cut from cheerleading. Everybody gets an award. So when they finally go out to get a job, they don't even realize you have to fill out multiple applications to get the job. So they fill out one application and go, I didn't get the job. I can't do this. It's too hard. And then mom swoops in and goes out and collects the applications and fills them out for them. And the child never learns how to do anything for themselves because they've never experienced failure. And then they call me. And how do you determine if they're experiencing failure to launch syndrome? Well, the first thing I ask is the parents, what has happened over the course of the past 10 years? Have you stepped in? Have you fixed the child's problems? Have you ever let them fall flat on their face and figure out how to do it? And nine times out of 10, it's no. I was about to ask you that. Yeah. (laughs) How many times? (laughs) So we sit down and we say, we have to let them have experiences. If they don't have failures, they can't have success. We don't always have success. Not everything you do works right the first time. And by fixing every problem they have, we teach them that they're never going to fail. And they are going to fail. And then when they fail, it's this larger-than-life mess, and they never seem to want to go any further. So it's almost like resilience has not been taught to them due to the helicopter parenting. Exactly. And if you ask them what they want to do with their lives, they'll go, uh, every time. And I sit down and I say, well, what is your passion? What is your purpose in life? 
and they stare at me with this like blank look and they go, I'm going to be a millionaire. Okay. <laughs> How are you going to do it? Sounds familiar for me about 10 or 15 years ago. That's also uh-huh. the same thing. So I say, how are you going to do it? And then they look at me and they go, I don't know. I'll figure it out in a few years. Wow. Meanwhile, they're skateboarding and smoking weed and hanging out. Mm-hmm. They have no plan. And then mom and dad just hope something happens. And then fast forward, now they're 33 and they're still living in mom's basement. Yeah. Well, and I hope this is the right way to ask this question. How can you determine um, if this is failure to launch syndrome versus laziness or just a plain lack of motivation? Okay, so... With the workbook, there's a bunch of exercises. There's 45 exercises. Everything from who am I? So I ask them basic questions like who you are. What do you want to do with your life? Where do you want to go? What does your circle of friends look like? Because you become your circle of friends. So if they're lazy, you're going to fit into the model. But if they're all successful, usually with Fire to Launch, the friends are successful kind of moved on and left the one person behind. Mm. And then you kind of know you have a failure to launch because Becky's studying to be an attorney and Bobby's a job at Starbucks. He's going to be a manager. And I'm working with the kid who's still living at home going, I don't know what I want to do. Hmm. That's more failure to launch. But if you have a group of five or six kids that smoke, you know, sitting around smoking weed and pizza playing Call of Duty, they might just be lazy and they might not want to get out of the house. Take away the Xbox take away the weed, take away the pizza, those kids will find jobs. They will find something to do. The fair to lunch kid will just sit there. Gotcha. So. Now you just mentioned you authored this workbook mm-hmm. recently. Tell us a little bit, show the, show the viewers, sure. tell us a little bit about it. So I have a workbook and it's recovery coaching. It's also life coaching and it's got 45 exercises that you can do with your clients or that you could do as an individual to help you unlock your true potential and in, in release the inner you. So you're basically learning who you are, what you want to do and getting from point A to point B. Wonderful. And as a coach, how do you address these issues with your client? How do you use this workbook with them interactively? So the first thing I sit them down is I help them figure out who they are, you know, inside, outside, where they want to go, which direction they want to go, and how they want to get there. So this is the vehicle to get you from point A to point B. A lot of people are stuck because they don't really know what they want to do. And once they figure it out, they don't know how to get there. And they say, okay, I know I want to be an accountant or I want to make a million dollars. Well, how do you want to do it? Well, I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Let's get, you know, in the bus. Let's get the bus moving in the right direction. And then let's get the right people on the bus to help you do it. Mm. And that's what I do. And what is it that you think that's stopping them from getting on the bus? Is it more of them not knowing who they are when you ask that question? Because that's hard, right? Who am Mm -hmm. I? Well, I don't know how to answer that. Is it an adjective? Is it like, Mm -hmm. what would Mm -hmm. that be? Or is it just because they can't pick a career because they want to make millions? It has nothing to do with the career. So what happens is, failure to launch, if I say to you, what do you want to do with your life? And they say, I don't know. Usually the parent jumps in and goes, well, we think Bobby should go to college. And we think Bobby should be an accountant. And there's all this pressure put on Bobby. And he doesn't want to be an accountant. So I'll say, what do you enjoy? Tell me what your passions are. And we'll talk about art. Or we'll talk about music. And maybe he wants to be a cello player. And mom goes, well, that's not going to pay the bills. That's how you know you have failure to launch versus a kid who's really, really lazy, who's not doing anything. So then we explore, you know, what they want to do versus what mom and dad want you to do. The expectation, because if you're pushed into a career mom and dad want you to do and you don't like it, most of those people end up unhappy. They end up drug addicts. They end up quitting their job and they end up a mess. And I get them anyway at 33 or 35 going, I don't know what I want to do. I'd rather address that at 21 than at 35. I was about to ask you that. Mm-hmm. What is the percentage of people in their 20s versus the 30-somethings? I get a lot in 30-something because they're so frustrated and they can't stay sober. And my first question is, do you like a job? 
and 99.9%, I hate my job. God, I'm so glad to meet you mm-hmm. because I know a few 30-somethings yeah. that are in this situation and now it's kind of all coming together. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, what has been your most extreme case with a client, if you're allowed to discuss it, when it comes to failure to launch? Um, I have a trust fund kid who's in his mid-30s, who's never worked, who has no purpose in life and no passion. And when you sit with him and ask him, he doesn't really know who he is because he's been handed so much money. He's been handed the keys to a castle and not given any guidance on what to do with it. And the mother's out of the picture the father doesn't care do whatever you want you know have fun and he just freezes so he orders stuff on amazon and just orders more and more and more stuff because he has he doesn't have connection with people he has connection with things Mm. so he doesn't understand that his happiness is not through shopping it is for a few minutes and then this stuff comes and he plays with it and then it's just in a corner so it's another addiction exactly Mm. So that's one of my harder cases, teaching him you have to have human connection. You have to have something to do with your life. You have to give value. You have to give back. You have to have a legacy. And how is he responding to that? Hardly. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to let go because he does. he's petrified because he's, you know, halfway through his life and he has nothing to show for it. Nothing. Mm. And that's the big thing I say is if you were going to die tomorrow, what would people remember about you? And in this case, nothing. You would just be a little blip on an obituary. But if you've done something, people remember you. So what would you do? And I do that with my failure to launch. Who do you want to be? Where do you want to go? One of my big success stories is I had the son of a very famous musician. And he was failure to launch. I got him at 25. And he his issue was his dad never introduced him by his name. He would say, this is my son. Mm. So he took the persona of the son of the famous musician. So I started working with him and I said, you have to say your name. Not I'm so-and-so's son. You are, and give your name. And he went from, you know, this, like, shoulders over and I'm so-and-so's son to I am so-and-so. And then they would go, oh, my God, you're so-and-so's son. He'd say, no, I'm better than so-and-so. <laughs> so I got him out, Wonderful. and he's now a very famous DJ. Wow. So he spun it and said, this is what I want to do. And his dad was like, you don't, you don't want to be in the music industry. And he said, yes, I do. And I said, go for it. Take the contacts. Go for it. Absolutely wonderful. Now, isn't it wild something that, I mean, that's not really small, but something that little as in an introduction where a parent doesn't know. Mm -hmm. I'm sure his father had no idea that when he was saying, this is my son, I bet he was so proud Mm -hmm. that it was having that impact on him. Mm -hmm. So what type of advice would you give to, let's start with a parent Mm -hmm. that is experiencing this, that you're working with their child? So the parents with failure to launch have a hard time separating their identity from their child's identity. And you have to understand this child that you're bringing up has it at his or her own identity. And you have to take yourself out of it and let them experience the world, whether they want to play music or paint, you know, whatever it is they want to do, encourage it, even if it's not what you think they should be doing. And step back and say, okay, I'm going to let them run with this and see what happens. Because they may make a career out of it. They may make a future out of it. So that's my first advice. Just step back, let it happen. Wonderful. And with the client, right? I'm working with clients myself with coaching, not Mm -hmm. necessarily in this realm, but um, success with their career specifically. You find that some people will be into it for a hot minute and Mm -hmm. then they're out. So what advice do you give them to stay stay the course, I guess you could say? So the first question is, are you on the right path? So if you get in and say, this is what I want to do, and all of a sudden go, okay, I don't like this, you're not on the right path. Let's, Let's reevaluate. Maybe it sounded like fun, but it's not now. I have a client who wanted to build a jewelry business. So she went to jewelry school and she learned how to do all this stuff. And I said, all right, are you ready to go? Let's go. And she goes, 
I don't really want to do this. I said, okay, put it aside. Let's move on to something else. And she goes, really? I'm like, yeah, if you don't want to do this, let's not waste our time. Let's find something else you enjoy. Because it sounded like fun until she realized she had to sit there for hours and piece beads together (laughs) and sell it for $20. And she said, this really isn't what I want to do. And I said, that's fine. So if you feel you're going down the wrong path, just pick up the pieces and go down the next path. And it's okay to do that. You don't have to say, well, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to trudge it till the end. If it doesn't feel right, move on to the next thing. How difficult has that been for your clients to be okay delving in and then realizing this isn't what I want to do? Most of them are okay with it. And they can say, all right, so let's move to the next thing because I'm here. I'm going to be your coach. I'm going to be your guide. It's a team effort. You're not going alone. And it's important that we communicate and that we know on some level that you're not happy because if you're not happy, I can't help you. Right. And I got to help you get from point A to point B. Wonderful. And is that what the workbook's focus is? Is it um, almost a timeline? I'm curious to hear more. Is it a step-by-step with each session that you have with them, they use it? Is it something they can use on their own accord? Like, okay, I'm going to skip to page 50. I'm going to do page one. How exactly does it work? They can use it at their leisure. If I'm coaching someone, I start them off with timeline because I want to get their history. So they'll go through and they'll put... There's a line, and it has all the positive events above, all the negative events below. So I can see, with drug use specifically, it will show me all the negative events lead to a drug use episode, or a Mm. mental health episode, or a stopping point, being stuck. So I can see that. So I can address that and say, what happened here? What's going on here? Uh, There's an exercise called Circle of Influence. I want to know who your friends are. If you're telling me you can't move forward and I look at all of your friends and they're all smoking weed and they're not doing anything, we need to talk about a new friend circle. <laughs> and I want to see that. So it's a big bullseye. has me in the center because so, their universe revolves around them. <laughs> and then all their friends going out. And parents are always way out here. And I always say, well, they need to be in here. If they're good parents and they're encouraging, they need to be part of your team. You know, of course, if they're toxic, we'll keep them out here. But just sometimes putting that on paper stops them to go, wow, I didn't realize my circle of friends is not the best circle of friends. Mm. Or they have all these people in their corner and they're utilizing none of them. So we look at those things. And how does one determine when you are using this exercise and you're saying like good parent versus maybe toxic, how does that even, how do you go about helping someone understand that? Because that could be tough. If they're listening to their parents say he or she doesn't want to do that, that has to be an interesting dynamic Mm -hmm. because you're almost saying, you might be saying, hey, your parents are toxic and they'd be like, what? My parents are toxic? Mm -hmm. But it's the reason they're going down that path. How difficult is that? Sometimes I have to meet the parents because I want to hear how they react and interact with the person. And a lot of times it's, well, he or she thinks this. So if they're speaking for the person, I'll stop them and I'll say, well, why don't you let them speak? <laughs> and they're usually horrified because they're like, oh, did she just say that to me? And I, <laughs> I always tell them, I can't fix 25 years of bad parenting. And I'll tell them that. And they're horrified. They're like, oh my God, bad parenting. But oh, wow. you're over-parenting. You're loving your child to death and you're not allowing them to be to utilize the true potential because you're so concerned on who they are because they're a direct reflection of you. Yes. And the more money someone has, the more the higher expectation they have for their child, mm. which mm. makes it even tougher. Yes, for sure. So clearly you have a phenomenal life and business coaching business mm-hmm. and you also focus on what I'm hearing you a lot talk about a lot is the addiction specialist mm-hmm. type of stuff. So tell us more about the Addictions Academy online. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. So I've been doing this 21 years, and I started off as a therapist, and I blend coaching in with what I do, and people started asking me, because I started getting NFL clients, NBA, musicians, actors, I've been on tour twice, and people started saying, what are you doing? How are you doing it? So I created the Addictions Academy, 
and it is the largest online portal for addiction classes. There's 40 classes, everything from addiction coaching, recovery coaching, intervention to gambling coaching, life coaching, family coaching, sex addiction coaching, anything in the coaching realm. And then I created the International Master's Addiction Coach, which is nine courses, um, six-month program, 25 hours of clinical supervision. There's nothing like it on the market. It meets the ISCF standards, and it helps mm-hmm. people learn how to be a coach. And they can take the life coaching they have and teaches them all the addiction piece to it. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I melded the two fields because addictions never had coaching and coaches has never never had addiction. So I put them together and said, let's hybrid it. And you're saying the International Coach Federation, that, that qualifies as under their branch too for teaching for that? Well, the ICF, oh, yeah. you can get a membership now because you've taken the um, the IMAC through yes, us. Yes. You can go to the ICF and you can get the credentialing from Wonderful. them. Wonderful. Because wow. it meets their standards. Yeah, because that's difficult. A, a lot of times you see, I love that you have both of the backgrounds, right? A therapist sometimes will look at a coach and be like, yeah. You're just a coach, you yeah. know, and, and coaching is different than therapy. So mm-hmm. have you found when blending these two through the Addictions Academy that there's been any pushback or? or oh, yeah. I bet. Oh, yeah. Therapists hate coaches. And here's why. <laughs> because they go to school. I have a PhD in clinical psychology. So you're talking 10 years. Yeah. So a therapist goes, oh, well, you know, I've been to school for six years and I've taken this license and that license. And what do you know? And I say, well, coaching is actually more powerful. And they say, you're crazy. No, it is. I mean, you see a therapist for years on end and never get stuff resolved. When I do coaching, it's a six-month process. And we're seeing results fast because, number one, therapists go backwards. They talk about dropping the ice cream cone when you were five. That doesn't (laughs) help you today. A coach says, you know what? You were supposed to look for five jobs. You looked for none. What happened? And I want to hold you accountable. Well, that's new to clients, especially addicts, because they say, I've never been held accountable. Therapists don't hold you accountable. Isn't that legal, too? Like, legally, they couldn't, or was that something? I'm not really sure Um, about that. Ethically, they don't normally get involved. Ethically, okay. But coaching, we do. We want to know where you are, what you did, why you didn't do it, and why you're wasting your money. You know, you're coming to me, but you're not doing the work. Why are we here? A therapist just the opposite. They're like, well, you can come sit and talk. And they listen for an hour, and it's, you know, a bitch session, and that's it. (laughs) And coaching, we don't do that. We don't want to hear all that. We want the work to get done. We want you to step up to the plate. Do what you're supposed to do. Yes. And I hear a lot of, okay, golly. But they do it, and they love it. And then they see results, and they're like, wow, this stuff's so fast and so powerful. That's wonderful. And is the Addictions Academy more of an autonomous learning experience, or do you have other individuals that are doing the coaching, or is it all you? I have a whole team. I mean, we've, we've trained 4,000 people in four years. Wow. And then the, the addictionscoach.com, I have a whole team of sober coaches, sober companions. Um, I have a famous musician that does sober companion. I have a famous NFL player that does it with me. So depending on who's coming in, if I need to send someone into sports or I need to send someone into music, music world, I have a famous CEO that was a hedge fund guy. So all of these people are available. And they go out and work with the clientele, in addition to myself. Wonderful. And then I have a signature product called Sober On Demand. And Tell us more about that. So that sounds great. It, no one does it. It's mobile rehab. So instead of going into treatment, what if I brought the treatment concept to you? What if I brought it to wherever you are? Like here. Let's say you can't leave work, but you need some extra help. Well, we bring people on set. We bring people on the field, on the court, wherever you are. Therapists, we bring coaches, sober companions, and we do what a treatment center would do one-on-one with you. So it's more intensive, and it's real life. You're not going into a cocoon, getting fixed and sent home. You're going home in real life, in a real world, where you walk past the bar, you walk past mm. the drug dealer, and you're learning how to deal with it in real time. Wow. That is yeah. game-changing. Mm-hmm. That is very, very powerful. Now, does the Recovery Coach Workbook work into that mm-hmm. as well? Every one of the coaches takes this with them and works through it with their clients. Because it helps them get past so much stuff. 
and anything they're stuck on in life with the coaching side. It'll work them through and everything from writing your own obituary to leaving a legacy to going to the soup kitchen. You know, we have some egotistical clients that say, those are not my people. And then you make them serve soup and you watch how quickly things change. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that giving aspect, that selflessness is shifting their energy? Well, because they've always been selfish and people rally around them to make sure they're okay because they don't die. So they're used to people giving them what they want. And when you make them do something where they have to be totally selfless, it's new. Mm. And I always say, if you give something to somebody and you expect nothing in return, that's kindness. If you give something to somebody and you expect something in return, that's business. And a lot of addicts operate in business mode. If I give you this, I want this back. Well, what if I just gave you this? And they say, well, what do you mean? What's in it for me? So this is new. And it's a new concept. It's amazing. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. everything about it. Yeah. What is it that made you want to get into this field? I wanted to be an FBI agent. So um, I had studied psychology, and I did my internship at SCI Rockview Prison. And I loved it, except I wanted to work with the crazy people. <laughs> and they put me with the addicts. And I said, this is going to be boring. And my mentor taught me body language. And I said, this is fascinating. And when I, I got out, I actually got into the industry because I was fascinated with what you don't tell me. And addicts love to lie and manipulate. What a great population. <laughs> so I'm sitting across from someone and I'm listening to their story and I'm going, that's all crap. And I could tell it in a minute and I could say, this is why you're lying. And they would go, how'd you know? You just met me 20 minutes ago. All because I read their body language. So it became a game for me. It's like, this is fun. Yes. So the more I did, my first like seven years was all nonprofit. I was the working poor. I was always broke. And I said, you know what? I want to work with high profile now. And when I slid in from the nonprofit to the for-profit, I realized the clients were exactly the same. Whether you have money or don't have money, they are exactly the same. And I started to realize I can make a living at this and help people, which is new in my industry. Because in my industry, the theory is you're supposed to always be broke. You have service. We have service. Right. Yes. yes. And I said, why? Why can't I make as much money as someone else, as a doctor, and still help people? What's wrong with that? And that's the concept I went with. Wow, that has to be difficult as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of like knowing your worth and you won't take a discount, but knowing that you're helping people and then mm-hmm. feeling guilty, that must have been, was that hard to separate? I won't make an assumption. No, oh, good. it wasn't because oh. I, I always said, if <laughs> there's no value in free. If, if I give you something for free, you're going to say, well, you know, it's free, like a ticket. If I give you a ticket to go see your favorite band and you're tired and don't want to go, yeah, you know, might not go. But if I give you a ticket and you pay for it, you're going to go, oh my God, I spent $150 on that ticket. I should really go and you'll go so it's different so I've always said if I don't charge you for service or I don't charge you what I'm worth I'm going to resent you and you're going to take advantage of me and we're going to have a power play but I know my worth this is what I charge and not only that they've spent so much money on drugs and alcohol and gambling and sex and whatnot why are you not spending that amount of money on your recovery why is it okay to spend a hundred grand on drugs and gambling but not okay to pay your coach yes and that, that makes me think of a very particular question. What do you think the number one, if it, again, whatever you think, there is no right or wrong here. What do you think the number one commonality is amongst the addicts that you're working with? What's the thing that you always see, if you can pinpoint anything? They've gotten away with everything. There's no accountability until I come in. I'm usually the first person that says no. <laughs> and they're horrified. What do you mean no? No. We're not going to do that. No. Um, I, had, I had a 37-year-old uh CEO in an Armani suit have a full meltdown when I told him absolutely not and just screaming crying on the floor like a five-year-old and I looked at him and I went just let me know when you're done 
And I waited on his temper tantrum. And he, screaming, yelling, he broke his laptop. And <laughs> he said, you're not even reacting. And I said, well, your bad behavior doesn't affect me. And he goes, I hate you. I hate you. I said, that's okay. You, you can hate me. Fast forward two years later, he's sober. And he had been in 21 treatment centers. Wow. I was the first person that didn't yes him. And I've always said, the reason Michael Jackson is dead, the reason Whitney Houston is dead, is people yesed them. They gave them what they asked for. If someone would have said, no, we're not going to do this, we're going to do this, they'd be alive. Yes. But no one ever did that. And that's where I come in. I get a lot of tough cases because I come in and I say no. Love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. So what would you say is the best part about the Recovery Coach Workbook? It's versatile. So it's not just for drugs and alcohol. You can use it for gambling. You can use it for food. There's a food mood journal in here for food addicts, which is fantastic. Uh, It has you write down everything you eat and what time of day, where you are, and your feeling. Because it shows that feeling is attached to food, just like feeling is attached to alcohol or drugs or gambling or sex. So addiction is addiction. Whether it's Facebook, shopping, whatever, this is good for any addiction. Wonderful. Which is unique. Yes, very much so. So one very special question. Where should all the viewers go if they need help with addiction or if they're experiencing failure to launch? Give me a call. 1-800-706-0318 or theaddictionscoach.com and we can help them. Okay, awesome. Give us that number one more time. Sure. 1-800-706-0318. Wonderful. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming. Oh, you're very It welcome. was a pleasure. And where can they find the Recovery Coach Workbook? This is on Amazon. It's a bestseller. So if you type my name in, you'll see it, or you can give us a call, and we'll get you a copy. We can give you a PDF. The hard copies are on Amazon, so if you want a PDF that you can customize for yourself, we have those. Wonderful. All right, and tell the viewers again, where can they find you on social media? Social media. Facebook is Callie Estes. You can find us on Twitter at The Addictions Co. or Dr. Callie Estes. Instagram is Callie Estes. LinkedIn is Dr. Callie Estes. Wonderful. And guys, as always, thank you for joining us. You can find me, Heather Yarrett, at Heather Yarrett on Instagram and Twitter. This is Book Circle Online. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you. We'll see you next time. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.